Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you would like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol fan server production. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. Joining me on our journey into the unknown are Rich as Toby Bork, Darby as Lucy Mercury, Six as Garrett Hardy. Tonight's episode, Hounds of War Part 2. Hounds of War contains violence, scenes of indiscriminate mass death, and a city left dead and abandoned. Consider this your warning. Previously on Hounds of War, Garrett Hardy, Lucy Mercury, and Toby Bork arrive in Russia to embark on an investigation of a passenger jet crashing into the sleepy mining town of Mirny. The trio venture into the recently abandoned city and find that it is infested with the undead, arriving shortly after at a hospital where they intend to find survivors of the tragedy. Right, so where we last left off, you guys had just reached the hospital. Roll horror, please. Excellent. Why must you torment me so? I am prepared for this kind of torment. Hooray! Plus two in the rolling, one temp strain, I got an eight. That's going to be... That's a six. And I got a five. Okay, all of you pass, standing to lose three. The tableau outside the hospital is grim, putting it lightly. There are a bunch of dead bodies out here, scattered around the, the sort of open lobby area slash A&E slash like drop-off point. You can see that some makeshift military fortifications have been erected here. There's sandbags, stationary machine gun emplacements, a few military cargo trucks parked nearby. And most of these corpses are of undead and also several Russian soldiers. Looks like they got hit hard. The floor is covered with bullet casings and pockmarks in the asphalt and concrete where grenades have exploded. Well, at least they put up a hell of a fight. Yeah. Hopefully it's been enough. I'd actually like you guys to make an awareness check with perception, please. Ah, yes. Thing that I'm good at. Dice Roller loves me today. Gonna take a re-roll. I got a one. Uh, five. So I'm going to spend two uh, mental strain and bring that up to a five. So the both of you come to a realization a couple of minutes after you reach the outside of the hospital. These fortifications were put up to defend against an outside threat. But as you scan the area, kind of take in all of the carnage, try and figure out what happened exactly, you notice that the bulk of the undead corpses seem to be within the perimeter as opposed to outside of it. Did they sleep on them? How are they surprised by zombies? You don't know. But this is what it appears to be like, that the bulk of the undead came from within the hospital as opposed to outside the hospital, and these Russian soldiers were caught off guard by enemies behind their lines, 
they still put up a valiant fight, but in the end, they were overrun. And there's a few things I can think of, but you know, none of them make a whole lot of sense. All I can think of is maybe there was an underground tunnel connected, but that that'd be really silly for you know middle of nowhere. But then again, it's Russia. It's very worrying that they had this very very well defended hospital defending against an outside threat and the zombies came from inside makes me wonder if there's something else out here that they were waiting for and they got caught off guard by the zombies second thought is uh our company got here ahead of time or at least that that cult people or whatever black steel you don't think they were infiltrated were they do you think so that's the first thought that comes to my head comes to my mind outside of secret tunnel is you know betrayal the way i see it there's four possibilities for how it could have gotten breached one is just there's a lot of zombies they got overwhelmed and uh the zombies eventually broke fortification from the inside and just looked coincidentally like that like there was a weak spot in their wall somewhere else and they're just piled through there yep second is betrayal like black steel or something third is they captured one like, just stupidity, something went wrong. Fourth is zombie catapult. Zombie catapult. You have a better explanation? And there's always that, well, zombie movies, there's always that one dick who hides his, uh, who hides his uh, bite. True, true. So, Christoph has already pointed out the set of signs in the fourth floor window. He shoulders his rifle, looks back to you guys and says, Come on, we need to investigate. If there are survivors here, we need to figure out where they are. And how many they number? What are the yeah. This is a trap. Incredibly high. Right. Kristoff kind of affixes Lucy with the sort of look that says seriously, and says, "Do you think people will put up trap for us in situation like this?" And he one hundred percent. No question. Sometimes I wonder how paranoid Orpheus makes its agents for them to think about enemy making trap within confines of presumably zombie-infested hospital for reasons of we want to kill other people instead of, you know, living. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that'll choose spite over living. Yeah, it's not Orpheus that makes us this way. It's the situations that Orpheus puts us into. He rolls his eyes, sighs. <sighs> Come on, then. We will not accomplish anything by standing around here, um... What is Amer that American phrase? Uh, flapping our jaws. I mean, maybe the zombies will die of old age. <sighs> and Lucy proceeds to follow him directly into the hospital. <sighs> so Kristoff guides the three of you towards the main entrance of the hospital. It looks like the doors have sort of burst outwards from the sheer amount of undead that had poured out of the hospital during the initial siege stage. Most of them lie dead. It's a lot of body parts, bullet holes, lots of blood, just piles of recently dead, undead, and then dead again humanity that have formed a sort of wave cascading outwards from these doors. It's, a, it, it's horrible. It smells, especially for the werewolves, Garrett and Toby, it smells, it's, it smells like a slaughterhouse or a meatpacking plant, except bad, all of it bad. Rancid meat. Ah. Okay, so I would like to know one thing. Uh, would Do you guys want to go in here stealthily or not? I think stealthily. I was thinking twofold. Right, we have one element that goes in stealthily. 
we have another element that goes in loud and draws all the zombies to them if they're in here. Like a lure. Honestly, one strategy is depending on how close the zombies, the lore is to the non-lore. Lucy could go in with a full Song of the Destroyer prepped and just draw everything to her. Well, this time it's Cuba Pete. Could also be the people who have some, you know, physical capacity for violence. Either one. That's what I was thinking was, let's have the beefy wolf boy stand out front, hack and slash things apart. Well, the uh, more tactical characters go in and snoop. Tactical might be a strong word, but sounds reasonable. I mean, tactical also describes nuclear weapons, so, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so what's, what's, what's the plan? I think Lucy will join the Stealthy Brigade. Okay, so I would... probably be better off, yeah. Seeing as we just got into a rather large firefight with the mob of zombies outside, uh, if nothing is actively coming at us, then we should probably go as stealthily as possible to not make ourselves known to any uh, any roaming undead that might have come within earshot since. All right. Since stealth is the overwhelming majority, I'd like the three of you to make a collaborative stealth check, please. Oh, boy. Lucy's Ouroboros tattoo is going to light up briefly before she fades into a horrible eldritch whatever, but folded up space before her roll. Going to take a plus two in lieu of rolling and put two times strain in to make that an eight. Watch as I make a werewolf disappear. I am going to put three strain in uh, to make mine a seven. Exactly mine as well. So with Lucy as the lead player, the uh, the cumulative roll goes up to a 10. So with a 10, you guys are the picture of stealth as you follow Kristoff to one of the sets of fire escape stairs that this building, well, any building should have. You guys go up one floor, two floors, walking as quietly as you can past several other scenes of carnage that have long since been left to congeal. And as you reach the third floor, Kristoff stops the... I'll say it again. Kristoff stops you three before you can reach the staircase landing on the third floor, and he whispers down, someone has elected barricade on staircase. We have to go another way. And as the three of you make your way up to the third floor landing, you can see that Someone or several someones have piled up hospital equipment, furniture, and other doodads and big pieces of stuff in the stairway, specifically the landing in between the third and the fourth floor. It's enough junk that short of climbing around the banister and then risking falling down the, the big empty space in the center of the uh, staircase... Like, climbing around the barricade, that's the only feasible way past this. There's just so much shit piled up in this landing that it would take you several hours to clear. Does it seem like something that Lucy with impossible geometries would be able to slip through, or...? I mean, oh yeah, you, your impossible geometries could go through pretty much any, any small space. <laughs> Honestly, I think the only person who could not get around this is our Russian friend. <laughs> we could just leap like, over it. This is like almost floor-to-ceiling with how uh, cramped these fire escape stairs are. No, I meant from stairwell to stairwell. Oh. Garrett just kind of looks at it, looks at uh, Toby, looks at Lucy, 
then looks at the Russian. How do you feel about being thrown? Thrown? I don't. Because I can jump that, and I'm pretty sure I could toss somebody. Are you suggesting that you want to throw me from this staircase to the next one? It's not the weirdest thing I've done today. I could move us, but you do not want me to move us. I promise you. Sort of looks at you, Lucy, raises an eyebrow, doesn't say anything. (laughs) I guess throw isn't the right word. Toss? Right, because if you actually threw me at the staircase, there would be no guarantee that I wouldn't come out the other side a dripping wet mess. Yes. So good Friday night. (laughs) (sighs) Garrett can toss him. Should Toby catch him on the other side? That would probably make things easier. I'm pretty sure I can catch him. Yeah, I think so too. And I'll cheer you on from the sidelines. Good luck, everyone. Well, I guess we're doing this. So if Toby's going over to the other side to catch Kristoff, Toby, I'd like you to make an athletics check with your dexterity. Well, I mean, this is a pretty simple check. You're just jumping over a space from staircase to staircase. So I'm going to take my, uh, my plus two in lieu of rolling. And uh, with my partial transformation savagery two, I'm also going to spend a physical strain and bring that to an eight. So with an eight, you make the jump easily. You don't even need to stand on top of the banister. You just go sort of like halfway up the stairs, turn, face the other set of stairs, one big hop, and you land on the other side. You don't even stumble landing on an awkward incline. You just land and you're planted there. And you are across. Now that you're on the other side of this barricade, Toby, you can see that this place, although the walls still appear to be covered with blood, there doesn't appear to be any corpses in this particular part of the stairway. You can see bullet holes in the walls, bullet cases on the floor, but there don't appear to be any corpses. Garrett, I would like you to make a might check with your vitality, please. Because <laughs> you are going to huck a, a man. Yeah, I thought about actually popping my uh, partial transformation for this, but I don't think I'm going to need it. Oh, God. I'm going to take the plus two in lieu of rolling, and that's going to be a six instantly without adding any strain. Garrett is a large, stout man. Just kind of grabs the Russian by the co- uh, by the back of the collar and the belt. As one, two. As you pick him up bodily by the collar and belt much to his chagrin the indignity suffered by this russian i'd like you to make a quick awareness check for me with your cognition this time instead of perception oh spend strain to make that a four okay he's heavy quite heavy actually but you chalk that up to the reasonable assumption that it's because of all the gear he's carrying armor plates in his vest ammunition gun clothes all combined together to make this guy, he is rather average build, you realize? But you just assume that because of all the extra gear he's got on, he's he feels heavier when you pick him up. And then you huck him, and Toby, I'd like you to make... What sort of roll do you have to make to catch a man? <laughs> Athletic check with dexterity would make more sense, because you're trying to catch him. So I'm going to use my, my three-temp athletic strain, and that is also an eight. You catch him with ease. Kristoff comes sailing across the gap. And you can actually see him tuck into a ball as he's approaching you. And you reach out, grab him bodily, take a few steps backward and brace your back against the wall. And in the next moment, he is feet planted on the stairwell, kind of dusting off the front of his vest and uniform. Sorry to manhandle you like that, but uh, 
thankfully, it is not the weirdest thing that has happened to me today. Garrett chuckles. Lucy shows up with big air quotes. Not the weirdest, thankfully. It can always get weirder. So uh, with your previous athletics check, Garrett, you can easily mimic Toby's feet of just jumping across the gap, no sweat. Pop up, arms wide, and say, and I did it without the pine scent. I think Lucy just thinks fondly on her flask at that moment. Don't think she would have been allowed it on this mission. It'll sit there the second of silence that I'll explain later. You don't have to. No, it's fine. It's totally cool. No need. So the four of you are now in the staircase that leads up to the fourth floor. Now that you're both on this side, uh, Lucy and Garrett, you see the same thing that Toby saw. Bullet holes in the walls, shell casings on the floor, lots of blood, but no bodies. Well, there was a firefight here. Yeah. And it looked like it was mutual, too, seeing how the bullets are on this side of the wall. Yeah. But where are all the bodies? I cannot say for sure. Who knows what might have happened before we got here, yes? I suppose we will have to find the survivors and talk to them to get the uh, story straight. I hope you're on board, but I'm probably going to stay armed while we meet them. Yeah. I am going to be right in assuming that these people will probably not be able to speak English. Leave the talking to me. I will translate as necessary. As long as they're able to speak at all, then I'll be satisfied. Just as long as they don't shoot at us. If they shoot at me, I will shoot back. But it is highly unlikely that someone wearing the same uniform as me will shoot, well, me. Well, what you say goes. All right. So the four of you make your way up to the fourth floor. It's a quick few steps. You open the fire escape door and come out into a hallway. The hallway looks rather bare, and you don't immediately see any signs of the undead sort of milling around these halls. You don't actually see or notice anything amiss. As you exit the stairwell and enter this hallway to make your way to the location or the general area where Christoph saw those those signs plastered on the windows, I would like the three of you to make an awareness check with perception, please. Ah, yes. Let's see if I can get a two this time. I got a one, closer than expected. That's going to be a four. I am going to take um, a plus one in lieu of rolling and spend a mental strain to bring that to a six. Toby, as the four of you are advancing down this hallway, your enhanced senses pick up the sounds of talking. It's not very loud. It's actually quite faint. It's coming from down the hallway a ways, like a long way down the hallway. But you can hear people talking in Russian. They seem to be murmuring about something. You're not able to understand the language, unfortunately, but it sounds to you like somebody's whispering something further down the hallway. I think at that point, Toby would give a a hand signal to stop uh, to the group. And knowing that he can barely hear the speaking, if they keep hushed tones, whoever's down there, unless they are of impressive hearing, won't hear any conversation. And he would relay the fact that there's someone or something alive down the hall, well down the hall, and uh, trying to be very, very covert in holding a hushed conversation, but that it's in Russian and he cannot make out what they're saying, or he cannot understand what they're saying. So you gesture or perhaps tap Christoph on the shoulder, let him know what you have heard. He follows your gesture down the hallway, squints a little bit, seeming a little confused as to where this noise is exactly coming from, since 
it doesn't appear outwardly that he can hear what you hear. And then you look at him kind of strains a little and then nods an affirmative that, yes, he does actually start to hear that too. And his pace sort of picks up, still being quiet, but now he is moving at a faster clip down this hallway, rifle raised, not even waiting for the three of you. Lucy gives an exasperated glance to uh, Toby and Garrett, then jogs to try to keep up. Garrett shrugs and follows with his pistol in one hand and him holding the green axe in the other. As the four of you follow Kristoff's increased pace, you soon come across an area that seems a whole lot more lived in than, well, the other areas of this bombed out hospital. Before you approach this area, the hallways were mostly ridden with bullet holes, lots of blood, maybe a few corpses. As you get closer to the sound of the murmuring that Toby heard, you start seeing less and less bodies, more more bullet casings, signs of travel, bootprints on the floor, tracked in either blood or mud. You can't tell, it's too dark. And then you come across very clear barricades that have been erected in the hallway, blocking it off from travel. As you round a corner into the wing of the hospital that Christoph saw the signs in, you are immediately greeted by a barricade comprised of tables, chairs, hospital beds, IV stands, a bunch of other miscellaneous pieces of furniture wedged into the hallway. There are gaps that you can see through, and the murmuring is now loud enough that all of you hear it. People are in hushed conversation. You can hear a few grunts and soft moans of pain. No, hushed tone as well, Garrett. I'll just go, well, these are them, most likely. And human, at least. Some of which injured, sounds like. Yeah, unsurprising. Honestly, though, it might sound callous. I think that's a good sign. Because if this is a trap, it's one that somebody put a lot more work into than they should have. Toby's still feeling the effects of his earlier break from reality and having to deal with all this violence. He's just on a razor's edge, following as close behind Kristoff as possible, uh, ready in case things go sideways. Kristoff lowers his rifle and makes a gesture for the three of you to sort of stop, turns briefly and whispers, the three of you should stay back. Let me do the talking first. Once I have established their trust, I can maybe let the three of you into their line of vision just to see that I am not alone in this. Stay around the corner, wait for my signal. I will be in the hallway. You will see me. All right, your call. Give a wordless mock salute and gestures. Kristoff lets go of his rifle, lets it dangle from the strap on his shoulder. So now it's just resting against his chest. He holds his hands up, palms forward, walks out from around the corner, and yells out a greeting in Russian. You hear the murmuring immediately hush into silence for a few moments. And then you hear the scrabbling of boots on tile floor, followed by the barrel of a gun poking out from the barricade as someone on the other end talks in Russian. There is a rushed con- I'll say that again. There is a conversation happening now in Russian. Unfortunately, none of you can understand it. Garrett scrumbles. I wish I had slept through the international's classes. It appears that Kristoff is gaining some ground. The barrel of the gun disappears from the barricade, and a hand pokes through another gap in the defensive wall and gestures for 
Kristoff to come closer. He does. And the conversation goes from normal talking level to a light murmur. You can see that Kristoff appears to be nodding in response to something, maybe instructions or, some, or something else. You're not sure. A couple of moments pass. The conversation wraps up. The boots behind the barricade sort of go away, fade into the distance and then stop as Kristoff walks back towards the three of you and says, Okay, so I have established that, yes, there are survivors in there. Russians, all of them. They appear to be elements of the Russian army battalion sent to accompany these investigators to the plane crash. Along with some of the townsfolk, hospital staff it looks like, along with a few civilians, and a few people from the Russian Air Transport Bureau. All in all, it looks to be about at least 10, 12 people. I'm not too sure. But the guy at the barricade told me that they had blocked off this whole hallway and we need to go through one of the side rooms in order to reach them. He will meet us there and unlock the door for us to go through. I have assured him that the three of you, my companions, are American support. Clandestine, of course. But the man was grateful to have any sort of help, even if it is from America. I'm glad he's not choosy. Sometimes you gotta take what you can get. Just kind of to sell home the Americans point, he'll cowboy holster his revolver with the fancy spin up. And do the same thing on the other side with the axe. Lucy just gives him a raised eyebrow, like, really? I have spent a lot of time with this axe. You learn to do weird things with Don't take that out of context. I splinters much? Anyway, the three of you follow Kristoff. So this hallway is a sort of T-junction. There is a wall directly ahead of you. On the left is the barricade, and on the right is another open hallway. Kristoff takes you down the right path into the very first room that you guys see. It appears to be a ward, a hospital ward. If any of you have been in a hospital before, this is a big open ward area. You assume that where these there are these little walls that sort of demarcate cubicles where hospital beds would be. Except that this room has obviously been stripped bare because they need supplies to construct the barricades with. You can see that IV stands, beds, chairs. This room has been stripped bare, but you can sort of see like in the floor, little indentations in like the linoleum where bed wheels used to be. The obvious place, the obvious like place, uh, the obvious places that show different amounts of wear and tear. And at the other end of this ward is another door, you assume, that leads past the barricade. And through the frosted glass on this door, you see the silhouette of a person. And then you hear the door, and then you hear the per- hear and see the silhouette raise a hand to the door and knock on it three times. Kristoff runs over to the door, returns the knock. You hear the sound of a door unlocking. And as the door slides open, you see this... 20-ish young man in Russian military fatigues. He's wearing uh, an Ushanka. He's got an AK-47, tactical gear, and a very haunted look on his face. He looks at Kristoff, breathes a sigh of relief, and then pokes his head into the room to cast a glance at the three of you. Longer than you think is necessary. And then you see the head disappear, and you see him gesture with his hand for the four of you to come in. Happily oblige. Jared will follow suit. And Toby as well, right behind. So now that you're behind the barricade, you can see that the situation here is 
a lot better than you thought it was. What you see are several Russian soldiers. It's not just the one dude. There appears to be about eight to nine of them here. They are all pretty heavily armed. More AKs. Some of them carry shotguns. One of them is actually toting a machine gun. They are in various states of readiness. Some of them appear to be just resting. But they do look up at you as the four of you enter. There also appears to be another group of civilians here in another part of this cordoned off area that you now see is a hallway and the adjoining two wards on either side of this hallway. Makeshift medical areas have been set up and you see about three civilians and one soldier in makeshift cots or spare hospital beds that he didn't need to use. Tending to them are three individual civilians that look to be clad in in hospital garb, specifically uh, hospital staff clothes. One of them does appear to be a doctor looking over his quote-unquote patients. The rest of the civilians are sort of scattered around the area, walking around, pacing, or in a corner or against a wall, seated, lost in their own thoughts. All of this sort of grinds to a halt as the four of you enter and one of the soldiers leaning against a wall walks over to Kristoff. He salutes Kristoff and Kristoff salutes back and the two of them have a rather long conversation in Russian. And then Kristoff beckons for the two of you to come closer and he says, this is Sergeant Luka Sokolov. This is unfortunately what remains of the detachment that was sent by the Russian government here to investigate the plane crash. Along with them are several townsfolk, like the doctors and nurses over there. Some of the civilians are residents as well. All in all, there are about 30 people here, some of them injured. This section of the hospital has been secured at a great cost. This side is barricaded, as is the other side. The two wards here plus the staff room are all safe and secure. They have been waiting for extraction for some time, but were unable to because of, well, a lack of manpower for one and lack of firepower for another. Also, the squad lost their radio man. That is unfortunate. Yes. The equipment that they were going to use to set up a forward operating post here, at least in the town, was lost during the perilous journey up to the fourth floor here, where we are now. One of the corpses down below us must hold that equipment. We have our own radios, but the Russian government needs to know the status of their personnel. And so Sergeant Sokolov here wants us to retrieve this equipment for him. And then he will let us rest here and allow us to move the rest of our operation up to the hospital. He just wants to make sure that we can be trusted, but specifically that you three can be trusted. So a fetch quest. Exciting. Do I have any idea which floor I might have been left on? Kristoff asks the same question, but in Russian. Sergeant Sokolov replies, and Kristoff says, his men were last seen on the second floor. Apparently, the platoon was split up, and he kind of looks to Sokolov for confirmation, who nods. Yes, they were split up as they were approaching the third floor. Decisive combat action had to be taken against undead that were infesting the hospital, and as a result, the platoon was split up. Unfortunately, their communications equipment was left on the second floor, and 
Sergeant Sokolov lost contact with the men down there. He assumes that they are dead, but there is only one way to be sure. So I guess the question is, and I look over at the two wolf boys, do just the three of us go or do all four of us go? We need one person here to maintain the radio communications between, well, me and you. I will stay here. I will, I will brief Sergeant Sokolov here on the state of our forces outside the town and let him know of the situation. In the meantime, the, two, the three of you should head down to the second floor by the staircase that we came in from and try and look for this communications equipment, if it's still functional. Once you find it and any sign of Sokolov's men, radio back to me first. And then let me know what you see. Depending on the state of the equipment, he might want you to come back or try and salvage it as much of it as you can. Understood. I can do that. Any objections? And outside of zombies, anything else we can expect? Not much. Kristoff asks Sokolov again. He gets a reply, and Kristoff says, Other than the undead, Sergeant Sokolov's men didn't really encounter anything else. It looks as if that disinfection or this contagion only creates the undead. It doesn't mutate them in some way, shape, or form. Or at least, that is the current observation, anyhow. So, expect undead. As these men were making their way upstairs, they didn't completely secure the hospital, if you know what I mean. So you should expect greater numbers the, the further away you get from this position. Fair enough. Be careful, the three of you. I will be in radio contact. Sounds good. Godspeed. Let me know if you find anything interesting on your way down. Well, keep you appraised. Take pictures. So Sokolov kind of is confusedly looking at um, Garrett and Lucy. Kristoff says something in Russian to him that makes him look a little bit more at ease. What, does he not like the way we look? He just doesn't understand the idiosyncrasies of Americans. You'll see in time. Lucy gives a big grin. If there is nothing else... You should get moving. The sooner we recover that equipment, the better. Yep. Yep. Let's move. Well, um, which of us takes point? Well, I'll take point. I've got the axe and everything. And short-range weaponry. Yeah. I think since Lucy's got the only range attack in the group, I think she'd stay in the middle if she could. Yeah, and Toby will watch the, uh, the group six. So, going back down the way you came, you repeat the same process minus throwing Kristoff getting past the barricade on the third and a half floor. You make your way back down to the second floor. The carnage is just as you left it. Bodies in the staircase, bullet casings, bullet holes, lots of blood. The door does appear to be jammed, though. So any one of you that wants to force the door open can make a might check with Vitality to just pry it off its hinges or, or force it open. I'll do that. I'm the, I'm the point man anyway. Well, it's flat on the die, so I'll spend... To physical strain to boost that to a six. Does it just kind of remove the door? Oh yeah, I forgot about wolf poof. And now there's a pine scent. Did somebody spray some axe everywhere? No, that's me. So you partially transform into a werewolf. Lucy, this is nothing special to you now. Garrett, this door is kind of ajar. You kind of figure that you'd be able to reasonably fit your fingers in between the gap of the door and the door frame. You do so, dig your claws into the metal of the fire escape door, and just pull. The door screeches open with the sound of grating metal on metal. It's loud, it's, it hurts your ears, but the door is now open enough that 
you can squeeze through and Lucy can squeeze through. Well, and now we're here. They didn't already, which they might. So on the other side of the fire escape is more of the same carnage that you've come to expect in this place. Except it's it's more copious amounts of it. There appears to have been a sort of protracted firefight that has led towards the door. As you can see, a trail of corpses. Basically, the violence looks like it led towards the uh, the fire escape door as opposed to like away from it. And you can sort of kind of guess that maybe the Russians came through here as opposed to starting in the fire escape stairs, going into the second floor, to coming back out. It's a reasonable assumption to make that they might have actually come up to the second floor from another part of the building. I would like the three of you now to make an investigation check with your perception as you step into the second floor of the building. You said investigation. This I could do. I'm going to take a plus two in the rolling and spend three times strain to get that a five. Use the re-roll for this one, and I got a four. Investigation is not necessarily Toby's strong suit, and uh, I ended up with a two. Lucy, as you wade through the assorted carnage, sort of taking everything in with your eyes, kind of putting putting together a mental image or a mental timeline of what happened here, you start seeing soldier corpses among the dead that litter the hallway, and it seems like what soldiers were here decided to put up a last-ditch defense. And you can see that past a certain point in the hallway, there don't appear to be any more corpses. And there's a lot of boot prints on the floor in blood, dried blood, that lead towards the staircase and then disappear past the door. So it seems to you like some of the Russian soldiers must have put up a quote-unquote last stand to ensure the survival of others that escaped. Presumably the same survivors that you met just a few minutes ago. Yeah, which would imply that this is probably where the communication equipment is, or somewhere close to it. Yes, you make that reasonable assumption that in this section of the hallway, which looks to be somewhere near a main lobby of sorts, like you can see, it's not there is no reception desk here, but you can see elevators... There is a nice big window overlooking the street on your right with a bunch of chairs, ta- coffee tables, uh, a couple of potted plants, vending machines on one side of the wall. And this is sort of like a big open mezzanine space with uh, one hallway off to one side, presumably f- for like the other wing of the building. And the other hallway is the one that you're standing in. Now, it appears that these soldiers came in from the other wing as the sort of the trail of carnage leads up from that other hallway that you're facing into the it spilled out into the mezzanine area, got contained for a little bit, and then it spilled over into your hallway and then stopped. So you assume that the communications equipment is somewhere in this area and it's it's not behind you, but it's somewhere ahead of you. What did I find? Uh, you get mo- you get most of the same, I suppose. Garrett, you exchange a glance of Lucy. The two of you pretty much kind of have the same sort of mental image building in your head. Garrett, this is more familiar to you in terms of military tactics, since you know you are ex-military and all. It looks quite familiar to you, the way that some of these bodies are positioned in the on the floor or leaned up against walls, scattered around the mezzanine area you sort of backtrack in your mind where these soldiers might have been, either standing or kneeling, 
when they were still alive and you realize that uh, they had made a sort of defensive wall to stave off a potential advance from an enemy force and then were subsequently overwhelmed by sheer numbers. And the soldiers here seem to have been, well, fighting for their lives and they gave their lives. The air smells faintly of cordite, very thickly of blood and death. But in all of this carnage, you don't quite know precisely where the communications equipment is. Like Lucy, you figure that it's somewhere in the carnage strewn out in this mezzanine area, but you're not entirely sure where. Well, uh, guess we got to just start looking. Yep. Do we, uh, God, I hate I'm about to ask this. Do we split up? So if it's just a mezzanine area, it's probably just going to be a wide open space for the most part. I don't think it'd be worthwhile splitting up. Yeah, we can ourselves. Right. Yeah, let's stick together during this, just just in case. So I guess we uh, just sweep the area, do a full check through of everything. So now, instead of individual investigation rules, I would like you to make one big collaborative investigation check with your cognition. This is going off of what Garrett and Lucy have put together, and pretty much the three of you are pooling your resources together, your mental resources to comb through the carnage and try and figure out which one of these guys might have been carrying all the equipment that, he, that you need. Excellent. All right. I'm going to take a plus one in lieu of rolling. I spent my reroll there, too. I'm going to put... Actually, I think uh, here Lucy's just getting sick and tired of this fetch quest already, and she wants to get out of there before any undead shows up, so she's going to invoke her motivation. I'm getting through this, and I'm fucking retiring to make that a nice nine. I just rolled really well, so I've got a five, and I really don't have the strain to spend on this. I am going to burn one strain and also now have a five. All right. That is, unfortunately, two minus ones, which makes the overall check a minus two, so that is a seven, unfortunately. It's difficult trying to find a set of tools or a crate of equipment in, that has been lost in this carnage. You spend more than what you thought you needed to find the equipment that you need. But eventually you do find it. It's in an unmarked military-styled crate that you can undo the clasps, open up the box, and you can see a bunch of radio equipment in like a foam-lined uh, equipment case. It's all there. It doesn't appear to be damaged, thankfully. But the case itself, it's obviously well, soaked in blood. It's dinged up and scratched and damaged on the outside. But as the three of you sort of go over the radios, transmitters, there doesn't appear to be any damage to the stuff inside the case. The case itself is pretty big. It's kind of like a small rifle-sized case. You, you know the kind, like the hard plastic, long rectangular case. This would be a struggle for Lucy to pick up by herself. But for either Garrett or Toby, this would be... A one-hand deal. But however, because it's a big case, it will take up the use of one of your limbs, like one of your hands. So you won't be able to, in Garrett's case, two-hand your axe. Or in Toby's case, you won't be able to use like the other, the claws on your other hand. Yeah, I'll heft it up for now. Just kind of stow the axe for the moment. How are we going to get it across the uh, barricade up there? I mean, we could do what we did before with... Uh... It'll have to be a really good throw. Alternately, we could just kind of pass it up between each other. We don't have to toss it necessarily. True. Toby, I'd like you to make an awareness check with perception, please. That is a four. You hear the sounds of shuffling footsteps coming from the hallway. Not the hallway you came down, but the hallway, but the other one. 
that's uh, that's not good. So as far as re- in relation to where the hallway we came down, that is directly behind us now since we're making our way back. Yes. So pretty much if you're making your way back, the hallway that you came in from is now in front of you and behind you is where these footsteps are coming from. Do they sound like they're literally right behind us or is it like down the hall? Down the hall a ways. Toby would uh, basically tap and hand signal to not bring any more any more awareness of, of them and what they're doing and uh, tap and hand signal like behind us sound of feet and since since Garrett has uh, the crate, he would uh, take a, uh, a defensive position behind Garrett and Lucy. So continuing to walk backwards towards where we're uh, currently headed. All right. How do you guys react to that? I think Lucy would hand signal for, uh, let's move quickly. We don't have time for this shit. Let's deal with them later. And um, try to cover move in the forward direction while letting uh, Toby cover backwards while they escort this radio shit all the way up the stairs. I'm going to uh, linger back slightly to get a look of how many are coming around the edge. You know, I can be stealthy. I'm a giant wolf. And I can be stealthy. How about that? As the three of you attempt to make your exit, Garrett, since you're hanging back, you see a rather large crowd of them just sort of start milling into the hallway. Inwardly, you are very thankful that these zombies are not the 28 days later kind of zombies or the World War Z kind of zombies that dash at you and scream because uh, these are the slow-moving George Romero shamblers. And we're looking at like a crowd of like 30-ish or are we talking like riot-sized? Yeah, it's about about 30-ish. The bodies are starting to uh, file in from rooms on the other from rooms in that other hallway presumably attracted by the noise of you just sort of pulling that door open. Mm. They're making assorted groaning noises, stumbling, a few of them stumble over corpses in the mezzanine that then rise to become more zombies. Seems to be like the, the undead numbers are slowly growing the longer you stay here. And with that, Garrett bids them adieu, but not actually. He leaves. So uh, Lucy wouldn't have seen the number of them, right? I mean, if you look, if you look behind you, sure, you do. I think Lucy would actually take a glance back and try to do some mental math for how worth the risk it is to try to take out a room full of zombies. Are you planning on serenading them too? Considering it. You kids go on ahead. I'll catch up in a bit. Careful, looks time. Maybe we should have radio warning up. Yep. Don't listen. Don't listen. I was going to say, on the radio, just kind of, if you got earplugs, you might want to put them in. Over. You say that into your radio, there is a brief moment of silence, and then Kristoff radios back. Is your friend doing what I think she's going to do? Concert is concert. Over. Before that, knowing that things are about to go sideways, like he had been worried about, Toby is going to take that panacea that he has been holding onto and uh, open that up and uh, down the uh, sweet-tasting but also burn-tasting, very alcoholic, magical concoction. So Lucy's plan is just to use impossible geometries to stealth in as close as she can. When she's just out of biting range, most of them activate it to try to take down, ideally all of them, but as many of them as she can in one fell uh, song. Good plan. 
and Toby recovered uh, one strain of all types. All right, so make me a cell check with uh, dexterity. Yep, she's going to take another sanity damage from activating goddamn impossible geometry. Meanwhile, Garrett and Toby, I'd like the two of you to make an athletics check with speed to see how far you can... So see how far away you can run before Lucy pops her Song of the Destroyer. So she's using a plus two in lieu of rolling and three times strain because she has full stealth. So that'll be a nine. I'd completely forgotten the fact that I had temporary strain. So I'm going to spend one of those temporary strain. So Garrett's moving at a seven. Toby's also moving at a seven. So he's moving faster than possible. Nice. Oh, actually, no, that would be a, that wouldn't be a seven. I would keep forgetting about what the werewolf stuff does. It's a nine. All right, so Garrett and Toby, your speed checks allow the two of you to easily make it all the way to the third floor as Lucy does her thing. Lucy, you stealth your way towards this group of zombies that is slowly shambling towards you. The amount of zombies that is in this group is steadily growing. The more of them there are that are filling this mezzanine, you get to about the center of or close to the center of this lobby area, come out of your impossible geometries, open your big mouth, and what do you sing? Ooh, um, what's the name of that song? Fuck. Every now and then I fall apart. Uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yes. Oh, she would go for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so she would belt Total Eclipse of the Heart, getting the zombie vampire thing mixed up in her head, but going for it anyway. Vampire, love song, zombies, same thing, right? All right, so all entities, excluding you, that can hear you, or in this case, are within earshot, must roll stability versus your knowledge, Eldritch, with cognition. Yep, she'll be using a rank two, by the way. She'll take the plus two in lieu of rolling, and uh, one time strange, make it an eight. You handily pass. What's your willpower? Uh, five. So all of these zombies take... 15 points of sanity damage. Yay! Each. <laughs> and so Lucy is the only witness to her feats of occult prowess as you open your mouth, belt out another 80s power ballad badly. Beautiful. And she'll heal a little bit from the extra sanity damage, which is great. Yeah, you gain 2d3 sanity damage as you basically melt the minds of all of the zombies that are present within earshot. You can see blood just start pouring out of the eyes, the nose, gray matter just gushing out of the ears. Some of them sort of cringe and crumple, deflate. And several seconds after you finish the chorus, all of them fall over dead. And also you bust the glass of the windows outwards, along with all of the windows down the hallways in both directions, <laughs> rattling the entire building with your sonorous war cry. War cry, war crime, same thing. Yeah, Garrett and Toby, you feel the ground underneath your feet tremble from the vibrato of Lucy's horrible singing. It's like, Ugh, I feel that in my teeth. At least I have rank three in case you were in earshot. That's at least helpful. Lucy, you are now alone, surrounded by a bunch of brain-melty zombie corpses. What do? Ah, feels like grad school like, all over again. And uh, out of curiosity, would you say they're in a uh, range of... Actually, no, I think Lucy would just go jog to try to catch up to them. Yeah, Garrett, Toby, what do you do now that 
you've heard and also felt Lucy sing her lungs out once again. I think uh, Garrett is at least going to slow his pace down to a slow walk. Toby will stay on on alert for anything that they may have passed by the first time, not expecting there to be anything, but not taking any chances. You know, I'm going to horribly freak out those Russians in the upstairs when I come back. You the end of the world. Just tell them I have a condition. It's an allergic reaction. So, Lucy, you're just jo- sort of jogging back towards the stairs, right? Yeah, I think that she's ready to move faster if she has good reason to. Yeah, you do have a good reason to, as your horrible singing has elicited the sounds of snarls and growls and groans from multiple parts of the hospital at this point. Yeah, I think at that point, uh, the moment that she starts hearing that, oh, fuck, I'm going to impossible geometry teleport. Back to Garrett or back to the survivors? To the barricade, wherever. Oh, okay, so you teleport into the staircase, a floor above Garrett and Toby. Yeah, Garrett and Toby, you wait for a few minutes longer than necessary, seeing if Lucy is right behind you. She's not right behind you. She wouldn't just leave us, would she? No, I think we should make our way up to the uh, stairwell. Yeah, let's go. And so the two of you make your way up the stairs, reach the barricade, and see Lucy standing there. Not standing. I think she would be laying there dramatically, like, pantomiming a nap. After, like, two minutes of waiting. Okay, correction. The two of you make your way up the stairs towards the barricade and see Lucy lying across the stairs, her head propped up on perhaps a table leg in the pantomime of a pillow. It appears that she is asleep. Come on, it didn't take us that long. Thank you guys forever. God. Oh, we were waiting for you. And that makes us even. Let's just go. (laughs) Let's go before I throw you up there. Probably deserve it. So the three of you make your way past the barricade as per normal. You don't have to make any other checks since you've already done that. You make your way back up to the fourth floor and approach the locked door within the ward that you uh, were let through previously. You give it a knock. Whoever is in the lead at uh, anyway. I imagine Lucy. Uh, yeah, I think so at this point. Okay, Lucy, you knock on the door. Probably looking really smug. Absolutely. The person who answers the door is Kristoff, and he sees that you're the first in the line and sort of glares at you. Hey, how's it going? I had to make a pit stop, sorry. The life of the bar and all that. We would be very lucky if the entire hospital is not converging on your position now. Well, it's a good thing the position was on the second floor instead of here. Well, now that you have so graciously attracted every single undead into... The second floor, wherever you are, maybe we can make the job of cleaning up this place a whole lot easier with copious amounts of incendiaries or, I don't know, concentrated machine gun fire. Anyway, do you have the communications equipment with you? Right here. And Garrett, much larger than he was five minutes ago, lumbers through the door with the case over his shoulder. Several of the civilians, you can tell they go pale at seeing you bigger and more canine-looking than normal. Uh, tell them it's a gluten allergy? Christoph pinches the bridge of his nose and sighs. I will get Sergeant Sokolov. Please stay here. Hold on. He comes back with the same soldier that you were talking to earlier. Garrett 
he uh, gestures for you to put the case down on the floor. Mm -hmm. He cracks it open, looks through all of the equipment inside. He adjusts each radio set within the case onto the same frequency and clicks the transmit button a couple of times just to make sure that it is indeed working and the batteries are good. And he kind of nods his approval, looks up at Kristoff, says a couple of things, and Kristoff looks to you and says, Sergeant Sokolov, he trusts you. Well, more than normal. The equipment is in good working condition. It appears to be functional, all of them. The batteries do not appear to be dead. And the internal electronics do not appear to be damaged, although the case is, well, it has seen better days. Sergeant Sokolov is going to distribute these radio equipment to the rest of his men and then put a call into the Russian government to let them know that, that well, they are still alive. In the meantime, we should probably radio back to our people and let them know that this place for the moment is safe, but for them to avoid the second floor of the hospital at all costs. You didn't happen to leave the fire escape door open, did you? Did we? We didn't make a roll to close it. Should we have? I mean, if the rest of the people that are going to follow us attract the attention of the sheer horde of zombies that you, and he looks pointedly at Lucy, so graciously attracted on that floor, then they might lead that same horror to our position, therefore endangering the lives of pretty much everyone here. Short answer, yes, you should have closed the door. I'll go close it. Uh, don't. I, I could hear you opening that door from up here. I was going to make that noise whether I opened it or closed it. Exactly. It would attract their attention, no doubt. And now that we have hostiles reactive to sound all congregated in one place, you making another noise with also stir the hornet's nest, as it were. So as much as it pains me to say this, do not go down and close that door. We could clear out the rest of the ones that have gathered in the same place again before we do anything else. Or if somebody's got a grenade, I can make a noise somewhere else. Those are very good plans, but for now we cannot risk using up what meager supplies we have. Since, you know, we are not back at base and we do not have the ability to rearm ourselves. Plus, you do not want to make the civilians panic any more than necessary. Your little stunt, Miss Mercury, did cause a fair bit of panic up here. It took a lot for them to settle down as it was. Understandable. I will keep it in check, despite the apparent clamoring for a uh, encore. Let's say, keep it at pianissimo. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, get inside. I will lock the door behind you. Try and get some rest, and I will radio back to JP to let him know that our position is secure. That's good. He ushers the three of you into the hallway, locks the door behind you, and then puts a hand onto the radio on his shoulder and proceeds to talk to JP as he walks away from the three of you, perhaps to get some privacy for the call. Aaron is going to go to a window. Lucy, Toby, what do you do? I think Lucy will ask if they have any coffee or alcohol. Those appear to be in short supply. The most that one of the other soldiers or civilians can offer you is water from a water cooler. Lucy will grudgingly take the water and offer to help with some of the first aid, since she's not terrible at... She's got some first aid skills, not doctoring level, but something to help. Toby is going to go and... Um take up a position alongside whomever is currently at the um the main barricade in the main hallway where the uh, the guns generally are and uh just keep an eye for if anything decides to shamble up towards uh up towards them 
should any of them try to start beating on the on the makeshift barricade that's in the uh, stairwell. The guy that is standing guard at the barricade gives you a little shifty look, but seeing as how you've already proven your worth to his superior, pays you little mind as you take up another spot on the uh, opposite him next to the barricade. A couple of minutes pass, and then Kristoff comes back to look for the three of you and says, All right, so our backup is on the way. JP has started moving our operation up. The moment we had already cleared a path into Mirni, they had already started packing up their things and moving. We will be expecting them in the next 15, 20 minutes, tops. I hope they're ready. Yep. I informed them about the situation on the second floor. I told them to avoid it at all costs. We will. Time will tell if they inevitably draw that swarm towards us or not. And, uh... We're ready to respond if anything needs to happen. He nods. Good. In the meantime, though, keep yourself, make yourselves at home. Keep yourselves busy. Try and help out here as much as you can. We can do nothing here except wait now. Actually, uh, two quick questions. Do you have a spare room that would give some privacy for a couple of minutes? He looks over down the hallway and then says, The staff break room, We could use. Uh, you could use that. Why? Just uh, want to run a couple of quick tests, if that's okay. Quick tests? I'll, if it works, I'll tell you later. <sighs> Who am I to judge the whims of your employers? Okay, I will make sure that there is no one in, this, in the staff break room. Give me a minute. You can see him go over to the break room. A few moments later, like a couple of people exit. And then so does Kristoff. He gestures Lucy for you to come over, and he Excellent. says, Five minutes. That's all I can give you. This place Solid is needed for, for our people to recuperate and rest. So, Very kind of you. Thanks so much. And uh, Lucy steps into the room. And this is a question for you, DJ, actually. What happens if she uses Mask of the Faceless to imitate a zombie? Uh, let's... Let me think. Hmm... Since they're humanoid in nature, you could reasonably assume the guise of a zombie. However, that also means you would be indistinguishable from the undead if you were to suddenly show your face again. And you might risk retaliation from other members of the Russian military that you might run into. Yep, this is purely for her personal testing to make sure that she can do it. So she can pull the trick later if she needs to. Okay, I mean... Yeah, you can you can do that. Kristoff is standing at the door, making sure that no one else is coming in. Yep. She'd use rank two and just also see if she could grab any of the memories from any random zombie, like normal. So you use Mask of the Faceless to shift into the guise of one of the random zombies that you saw downstairs. Mm -hmm. This uh, slightly taller, what used to be a man, kind of missing half his face, no jaw. Mm -hmm. Like, chest cavity is open, neck is torn and bloody. You read this guy's mind and find that he used to be a patient, just recovering from a nasty lung infection until the war that he was in got overrun by the undead, and then he couldn't, you know, resist and subsequently got eaten and turned. Makes perfect sense. It was horrible, painful death. Roll for horror. As Kristoff uh, raises an eyebrow and uh, goes, huh, I didn't know you could do that. Uh, gonna take a plus two in lieu of rolling, one temp strain, get an eight. Yeah, you pass and to lose three. 
Okay. Well spent a strain to buy down. Yeah, that was unpleasant. Not going to do it again for a bit, but good to know I can. And she'll let go of the transformation and shift back into normal. Actually, you say you say that, but what comes out of what passes for your mouth is well, like <laughs> because you don't have a lower jaw. <laughs> and then you turn back into Lucy. She'll just run, move her mouth a few times, like shift her jaw. Eh, I don't like that. Not doing that again. Nope. How does he bite people? Uh, anyway, neat trick if we need it. If we need it. Hopefully we don't. Yes, hopefully. This has been Applied Materials. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you to Rich for playing Toby Bork, Darby for playing Lucy Mercury, Six for playing Garrett Hardy. Do follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter to keep up with the podcast, and I will see you in the next episode. Good night. The Cold Heart Cell arrive in Russia, embarking on the same investigation as their American counterparts. Theirs, however, is one of study. What revelations will the cell uncover? Next time on Land of the Unburied.